This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, and to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Pat Elder, San Antonio, Florida, December 2006. The Rosary by Florence L. Barclay. Chapter 18 The Napoleon of the Moors. On the bearskin rug, with his back to the fire, stood Dr. Robert Mackenzie, known to his friends as Dr. Rob, or Old Robbie, according to their degrees of intimacy. Jane's first impression was of a short, stout man in a sealskin waistcoat which had seen better days. A light box-cloth overcoat, three sizes too large for him. A Napoleonic attitude, little spindle legs planted far apart, arms folded on chest, shoulders hunched up, which led one to expect, as the eye traveled upwards, an ivory-white complexion, a Roman nose, masterful jaw, and thin lips folded in a line of conscious power. Instead of which, one found a red, freckled face, a nose which turned cheerfully skyward, a fat pink chin, and drooping sandy mustache. The only striking feature of the face was a pair of keen blue eyes, which, when turned upon any one intently, almost disappeared beneath bushy red eyebrows, and became little points of turquoise light. Jane had not been in his presence two minutes before she perceived that when his mind was working he was entirely unconscious of his body, which was apt to do the most peculiar things automatically, so that his friends had passed around the remark, Robbie chews up dozens of good pen-holders, while Dr. Mackenzie is thinking out excellent prescriptions. When Jane entered, his eyes were fixed upon an open letter, which she instinctively knew to be Derek's, and he did not look up at once. When he did look up, she saw his unmistakable start of surprise. He opened his mouth to speak, and Jane was irresistibly reminded of a tame goldfish at Overdean, which would rise to the surface when the Duchess dropped crumbs. He closed it without uttering a word, and turned again to Derek's letter, and Jane felt herself to be the crumb, or rather the camel, which he was finding it difficult to swallow. She waited in respectful silence, and Derek's words passed with calming effect through the palpitating suspense of her brain. The Gaelic mind works slowly, though it works exceeding sure. He will be exceeding sure that I am a very poor judge of women. At last the little man on the hearth rug lifted his eyes again to Jane's, and, alas, how high he had to lift them. Nurse, er, he said inquiringly, and Jane thought his searching eyes looked like little bits of broken blue china in a haystack. Rosemary Gray, replied Jane meekly with a curtsy in her voice, feeling as if they were rehearsing amateur theatricals at Overdean, and the next minute the Duchess's cane would rap the floor, and they would be told to speak up and not to be so slow. Ah, said Dr. Robert Mackenzie, I see. He stared hard at the carpet in a distant corner of the room, then walked across and picked up a spline broken from a bass broom, brought it back to the hearth rug, examined it with minute attention, then put one end between his teeth and began to chew it. Jane wondered what was the correct thing to do at this sort of interview, when a doctor neither sat down himself nor suggested that the nurse should do so. She wished she had asked Derek, but he could not possibly have enlightened her because the first thing he always said to a nurse was, My dear nurse so-and-so, pray sit down. People who have much unavoidable standing to do should cultivate the habit of seating themselves comfortably at every possible opportunity. 
But the stout little person on the hearth-rug was not Derrick. So Jane stood at attention, and watched the stiff bit of bass wag up and down, and shorten, inch by inch. When it had finally disappeared, Dr. Robert Mackenzie spoke again. "'So you have arrived, Nurse Gray,' he said. "'Truly the mind of the Scotchman works slowly,' thought Jane. But she was thankful to detect the complete acceptance of herself in his tone. Derrick was right, and oh the relief of not having to take this unspeakable little man into her confidence in this matter of the deception to be practised on Garth. "'Yes, sir, I have arrived,' she said. Another period of silence. A fragment from the bass broom reappeared and vanished once more, before Dr. Mackenzie spoke again. "'I am glad you have arrived, Nurse Gray,' he said. "'I am glad to have arrived, sir,' said Jane gravely, almost expecting to hear the Duchess's delighted ha-ha from the wings. The little comedy was progressing. Then suddenly she became aware that during the last few minutes Dr. Mackenzie's mind had been concentrated upon something else. She had not filled it at all. The next moment it was turned upon her, and two swift turquoise gleams from under the shaggy brows swept over her with the rapidity and brightness of searchlights. Dr. Mackenzie commenced speaking quickly with a wonderful rolling of R's. I understand, Miss Gray, you have come to minister to the patient's mind rather than his body. You need not trouble to explain. I have it from Sir Derek Brand, who prescribed a nurse companion for the patient, and engaged you. I fully agree with his prescription, and, allow me to say, I admire its ingredients. Jane bowed, and realized how the Duchess would be chuckling. What an insufferable little person! Jane had time to think this while he walked across the room to the tablecloth, bent over it, and examined an ancient ink spot. Finding a drop of candle grease near it, he removed it with his thumbnail, brought it carefully to the fire, and laid it on the coals. He watched it melt, fizzle, and flare, with an intense concentration of interest, then he jumped round on Jane, and caught her look of fury. "'And I think there remains very little for me to say to you about the treatment, Miss Gray,' he finished calmly. "'You will have received minute instructions from Sir Derrick himself. "'The great thing now is to help the patient to take an interest in the outer world. "'The temptation to persons who suddenly become totally blind "'is to form a habit of living entirely in a world within, "'a world of recollection, retrospection.' and imagination, the only world, in fact, in which they can see. Jane made a quick movement of appreciation and interest. After all, she might learn something useful from this eccentric little Scotchman. Oh, to keep his attention off rubbish on the carpet and grease spots on the tablecloth. Yes, she said. Do tell me more. This, continued Dr. Mackenzie, is our present difficulty with Mr. Dalmain. There seems to be no possibility of arousing his interest in the outside world. He refuses to receive visitors. He declines to hear his letters. Hours pass without a word being spoken by him. Unless you hear him speak to me or to his valet, you will easily suppose yourself to have a patient who has lost the power of speech, as well as the gift of sight. Should he express a wish to speak to me alone when we are with him, do not leave the room walk over to the fireplace and remain there. I desire that you should hear that when he chooses to rouse and make an effort, he is perfectly well able to do so. The most important part of your duties, Nurse Gray, will be the aiding him day by day to resume life. 
the life of a blind man, it is true, but not, therefore, necessarily an inactive life. Now that all danger of inflammation from the wounds has subsided, he may get up, move about, learn to find his way by sound and touch. He was an artist by profession. He will never paint again, but there are other gifts which may form reasonable outlets to an artistic nature. He paused suddenly, having apparently caught sight of another grease spot, and walked over to the table, but the next instant jumped round on Jane, quick as lightning, with a question. "'Does he play?' said Dr. Robb. But Jane was on her guard even against accidental surprises. "'Sir Derrick did not happen to mention to me, Dr. Mackenzie, whether Mr. Dalmain is musical or not.' "'Ah, well,' said the little doctor, resuming his Napoleonic attitude in the center of the hearth-rug, "'you must make it your business to find out. "'And by the way, nurse, do you play yourself?' "'A little,' said Jane. "'Ah,' said Dr. Robb, "'and I dare say you sing a little, too?' Jane acquiesced. "'In that case, my dear lady, "'I leave most explicit orders "'that you neither sing a little nor play a little to Mr. Dalmain. "'We who have our sight can just endure "'while people who play a little "'show us how little they can play, "'because we're able to look round about us "'and think of other things. "'But to a blind man with an artist's sensitive soul "'the experience might culminate in madness. "'We must not risk it. "'I regret to appear uncomplimentary, "'but a patient's welfare must take precedence "'of all other considerations.' "'Jane smiled. "'She was beginning to like Dr. Robb. "'I will be most careful,' she said, "'neither to play nor to sing to Mr. Dalmain.' "'Good,' said Dr. Mackenzie. "'But now let me tell you what you most certainly may do by and by. "'Lead him to the piano. "'Place him there upon a seat where he will feel secure. "'None of your twirly, rickety stools. "'Make a little notch on the keyboard by which he can easily find middle C. "'Then let him relieve his pent-up soul by the painting of sound pictures.' You will find this will soon keep him happy for hours. And, if he is already something of a musician, as that huge grand piano with no knick-knacks on it indicates, he may begin that sort of thing at once, before he is ready to be worried with the braille system or any other method of instructing the blind. But contrive an easy way. A little notch in the woodwork below the note by means of which, without hesitation or irritation, he can locate himself instantly at middle C. Never mind the other notes. It is all the seeing he will require once he is at the piano. Ha ha, not bad for a Scotchman, eh, Nurse Gray? But Jane could not laugh, though somewhere in her mental background she seemed to hear laughter and applause from the Duchess. This was no comedy to Jane. Her blind Garth at the piano, his dear beautiful head bent over the keys, his fingers feeling for that pathetic little notch to be made by herself below middle C. She loathed this individual who could make a pun on the subject of Garth's blindness, and in the back of her mind Tommy seemed to join the Duchess, flapping up and down on his perch and shrieking, "'Kick him out! Stop his jaw!' "'And now,' said Dr. Mackenzie unexpectedly, "'the next thing to be done, Nurse Gray, is to introduce you to the patient.' Jane felt the blood slowly leave her face and concentrate in a terrible pounding at her heart, but she stood her ground and waited silently. Dr. Mackenzie rang the bell. Simpson appeared. A decanter of sherry, a wine glass, and a couple of biscuits, said Dr. Robb. Simpson vanished. Little beast, thought Jane, at eleven o'clock in the morning. 
Dr. Robb stood and waited, tugging spitefully at his red moustache and looking intently out of the window. Simpson reappeared, placed a small tray on the table, and went quietly out, closing the door behind him. Dr. Robb poured out a glass of sherry, drew up a chair to the table, and said, Now, nurse, sit down and drink that, and take a biscuit with it. Jane protested, But indeed, doctor, I never— I have no doubt you never— said Dr. Robb, especially at eleven o'clock in the morning. But you will today, so do not waste any time in discussion. You have had a long night journey. You are going upstairs to a very sad sight indeed, a strain on the nerves and sensibilities. You have come through a trying interview with me, and you are praising heaven it is over. But you will praise heaven with more fervency when you have drunk the sherry. Also, you have been standing during twenty-three minutes and a half. I always stand to speak myself, and I prefer folk should stand to listen. I can never talk to people while they loll around. But you will walk upstairs all the more steadily, Nurse Rosemary Gray, if you sit down now for five minutes at this table. Jane obeyed, touched and humbled. So, after all, it was a kind, comprehending heart under that old sealskin waistcoat, and a shrewd understanding of men and matters in spite of the erratic somewhat objectionable exterior while she drank the wine and finished the biscuits he found busy occupation on the other side of the room polishing the window with his silk pocket handkerchief making a queer humming noise all the time like a bee buzzing up the pane he seemed to have forgotten her presence but just as she put down the empty glass he turned and walking straight across the room laid his hand upon her shoulder now nurse he said follow me upstairs and just at first speak as little as possible remember every fresh voice intruding into the still depths of that utter blackness causes an agony of bewilderment and disquietude to the patient speak little and speak low and may god almighty give you tact and wisdom there was a dignity of conscious knowledge and power in the small quaint figure which preceded jane up the staircase as she followed she became aware that her spirit leaned on his and felt sustained and strengthened the unexpected conclusion of his sentence old-fashioned in its wording yet almost a prayer gave her a fresh courage may god almighty give you tact and wisdom he had said little guessing how greatly she needed them and now another voice echoing through memory's arches to organ music took up the strain where thou art guide no ill can come and with firm though noiseless steps jane followed dr mackenzie into the room where garth was lying helpless sightless and disfigured end of chapter eighteen the rosary by florence l barclay